Well, there, there we get the Irish in Sweden getting themselves ready for the World Cup, uh, taking days off, flexi time, the whole lot is right stuck in front of your television now from now and nearly Christmas. Jeez, until after Christmas if you're lucky. How we all keeping? My name is Philip O'Connor, and as you will have known if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time whatsoever, by the time you hear it, I'm going to actually be in Qatar covering that World Cup. I am swapping the snow and the slask and all the stuff that you usually have to put up with in November and December in Sweden, and I'm uh, heading out to a place I'm not even sure if I want to be going there, lads, because it's one of those places where, look at, you know, we have our rights for human, our norms for human rights and that kind of thing, and it's just not that kind of place and um, I'd always be the sort of character who'd stick up for the working man and I just don't think the working people get a good deal over there especially people who come from Nepal and from Bangladesh but look at it, it is what it is I'll do my best to tell the stories through the work I'm doing over there but you know Jesus to be honest if I was making the decision today I probably wouldn't go there but that's neither here nor there because there's so much going on in the Irish community here right now again how the sausage is made I have been doing everything I can to talk to everybody I can before I even get close to leaving because I want to be able to bring you a podcast all the time that I am away. Now, if you want to support that work, you may do so. I'd be more than happy for you to do so at patreon.com forward slash our man in Stockholm. Or you can go to Swish, one two three two four two four one six six and support the podcast there. Let's get a little bit of housekeeping out of the way first, shall we? Uh, this week, or, or no, next week actually, on Tuesday the 29th, of November, there is another uh, event from the Irish Chamber of Commerce in Sweden, right? They're having another one of their events to do with applied sustainability. So they've had a series of them throughout the autumn here. So it's well worth joining in. And it's Hanna Usitalo from Kona. Kona, a company, a Finnish company who make uh, lifts and elevators and lifting technologies and all sorts of stuff there. A huge company. I didn't realise how big they were until about a year, year and a half ago. I was writing them. I was going, oh, hang on a second, these lads are everywhere. So I'm sure that's going to be a fascinating event. And then, of course, you have the, the Christmas parties, etc., etc., all coming up. Uh, both the event that the Irish Chamber of Commerce in Sweden are running, and, of course, the Swedish Irish Society will be running their event. I think there's actually a, a little reception for children on the same day, and then there's the adults' Christmas party is on that night. But look up the Swedish Irish Society on Facebook, find the Irish Chamber of Commerce on LinkedIn and get those couple events into your calendar. Now, as you're listening to this, if you're one of, if you're like Kevin Carroll and you listen to this at 7 o'clock on a Monday morning religiously, even more so than he does the novena, he'd be listening to this podcast, right? But on the day this podcast is due to come out, at 3pm Irish time, there's going to be an announcement, right? Uh, and that's from Minister Colin Brophy and it's to do with the Global Irish Civic Forum, right? Now, now, it's going to be starting in the spring of 2023, and it's a sort of an effort to bring together the Irish diaspora from all over the world. And it's to discuss a range of issues. There's all sorts of stuff that's on there, and it's open to all organisations working with Irish communities abroad. And sure, that's me. And sure, that's you. And that's the Stockholm Gales and the Swedish Irish Society and the Irish Chamber of Commerce in Sweden. And it's the people who are learning Irish. It's the, the Gael Goris at Sulin. It's everybody, right? So try to get involved in that. And to be honest, I don't know what level we're going to be involved at. You know, we've a, a small but, you know, relatively thriving community here. I don't know what they want to hear from us. I don't know what they want from us yet. But I do think it's worth our while listening because the people who are behind this are the minister. Colin Brophy is the minister for the diaspora. He has responsibility for us. And they will let us know what they want. And in turn, they will let us know how they can support us. That is not the minister texting me there, lads, just in case you think that I have some inside track on this. I don't. But, um, yeah, so get involved 
there keep an eye out on it maybe take part in that meeting or watch the press conference or the meeting afterwards and see because it's good to be aligned with the embassy it's good to be aligned with the department of foreign affairs and it's also good to know what resources are out there because there's not we don't really need a whole lot to keep going right this podcast doesn't need a whole lot it gets brilliant sponsorship from martin hessian down at veerstrom's every month and that really helps to keep things going the stockholm gales and some of the other gaelic football clubs in sweden and in the nordic region have been in receipt of some grants via the gaa and that money comes from the department of foreign affairs and that kind of thing so there's certainly supports out there and we should know what they are and we should be able to feed into that discussion as well so if you have a chance to get yourselves involved in that I would strongly suggest you do so. If you're heading for your first winter here, right, if you're over here an Erasmus student, if you just moved over here, this is when things can get a little bit rough, lads, right? Gaelic football's over. It's getting dark. As I'm sure you know, if you're out in a building site up in Lulee at the moment, A, it's cold. It's colder than the gravedigger's ass, as uh, the great Tom Waits would have had it. Um, there's limited sort of scope for socialising because by the time you get your winter clothes on and go out and that kind of thing, sure it's time to come home again. So just be mindful mindful of that lads right it's cold and dark and we can get a little bit isolated right find your friends online if you play on the ps4 or the xbox you know set up a few games against lads back home or against people in the community here see if you can find some way of interacting with people try to get to the gym if you have a lunch break if you're working in an office or on a building site you have a lunch break try to get outdoors and get the the good out of whatever daylight that happens to be right the first time the first winter i spent over here I was touring around as a musician with a band called The Frog's Wedding and I was miserable because we were sleeping all day, you know, we were playing till 2, 3 in the morning and by the time you get up at lunchtime, so there was only an hour of daylight left and then you were, you know, eating again and then going back on stage, that kind of thing. And I just found it the most miserable experience. So be wary of that, right? Be wide to that and try to keep in contact with people. Use your WhatsApp groups and use your Instagram and that kind of thing to keep in touch with people and get that little bit of, that little bit of sunshine that we can all provide for one another into our lives. Now, let us move on to a little ray of sunshine for me who in Sweden for the last, God knows, two decades or more. And that is my good friend, Carl Stein from Malahide. Some of you will know Carl uh, from his time setting up the Liffey, the Irish bar here. This is something we cover in the conversation. He worked as a bartender in the Dubliner. But he's since sort of left the, uh, the, the catering business and moved into the food business in the shape of making his own soft drinks under a brand called Tusht. Tusht is the Swedish word for thirst. No prizes, forget that, lads. Okay, you're not getting an A at your SFE just because you guessed what that one was. Fairly self-explanatory, but well done all the same. Soft drinks in Swedish are called lesk, and especially at this time of the year, they're a big thing as we come up to the Swedish Christmas dinner, right? And to Christmas dinners in general. And Carl's company... Uh, or Carl himself, they make all these things from completely ecological agreement, uh, ingredients and it's all on the shelves now, including what they call Yule Must, right? Now, Yule Must is one of these really popular Swedish drinks. If you haven't seen it before, you haven't tasted it, it's quite unique and it was made by brewers as a sort of a non-alcoholic drink to have around Christmas time, right? It looks like Coca-Cola. It doesn't taste like it. It has a very unique, unique taste and Carl does a very good take on it, despite not being Swedish himself, but he's gotten really into the weeds of it and tried to make something that's different yet traditional. And this is the brilliant thing about Carl Stein. It's how creative the fella is and that. So a few days ago, a few weeks ago, I went out and I paid him a visit as he was out there brewing up all the stuff that he's making, all sorts of elderflower stuff and, and lemon drinks and raspberry drinks and it's amazing. Now, I'm not a man who drinks those things, but the, but the amazing like the taste of them it's just so fresh and during the interview you'll hear where you can pick them up but we started off at Tusht out in a brewery in 
and uh, and we were just having a look and a listen to the brewing process. So here he is, the legend that is Carl Stein, uh, looking after your thirst or your thirst here on the Irish in Sweden podcast. <laughs> Carl Stein, where are we now? We just walked into where we're brewing, and I see Tushed is written there on one of these big uh, stainless steel containers. That's yeah, that's a passive-aggressive uh, note on what we can and can't do in here. But uh, <laughs> as you can see, it's like you're doing some sort of a washer there. Have you flooded the place before? Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> raspberry juice everywhere. No, this is uh, this is out in Barnby Briggery. Um, in the beautiful Ingara, where we hire, Tushed hires here, usually at a week at a time. Uh, and we come in and we, we brew uh, all our natural products, and then we hand over the finished product back to Varna Briggery to bottle, which okay. you'll see, and you can probably hear all the clinking going on now. Yeah. So right now our brewing is finished, and we're at the bottling stage, which means it's a relatively easy day for me. Uh, but Jeff, yeah, I'll show you, I can show you through the process if you like. It might, yeah. m- might make sure. the best radio, but. These big tanks here are where all our ingredients will go into the actual brewing. This is the, the brew kettle, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, so all our organic ingredients go in here, mixed with the fair trade organic cane sugar. And uh, some of the products we boil, some of them we actually cold brew. Uh, when they're finished in here, which normally is a one to three hour process only in here, we send them over to these cooling tanks, which you can see there's eight or nine of them, 2,000 litre tanks. The last one is a 4,000 litre tank. Uh, in there they cool down and then we start to carbonate them. That's an overnight process. So compared to beer, for example, what you can see in these closed tanks, which is Van de Briggery's usual business is beer, uh, they'll sit in there for five weeks as they ferment. Uh, the soda business, we're, we're, we're in and out in a day, so it's kind of <laughs> handy. Um, so yeah, then they carbonated into these tanks and then once we hit the right level we pump them through into this big uh, section that you can hear going on and i can see those lovely bottles of that lovely raspberry soda just cleaning yep. away there through the whole production process yeah how much soda would you brew at a time here how many liters ish uh, each batch we do is 2000 liters uh, and we at the moment are doing about 11 batches per term uh, which is takes about half a week to bottle three 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 and a half days to bottle um, we come out with about 50 60 thousand bottles this is a relatively small brew we have done brews of 130 thousand but the guys in here really don't like to spend two weeks just continuous first bottles, bottles, bottles. As I said, they're used to, in the beer business, it's a little bit slower, tanks go in five weeks, you have a bit of time. We're kind of intense here. The bottles are coming out, 3,000 bottles per hour out of the pasteurizing tunnel, so it's quite a continuous job for them. And those, how long, how often would you do that then? Would you be doing it sort of once a month? Kind of At the moment now, we are doing once a month with a view to stocking up for spring and summer because their period in the spring we won't have much access to the brewery so we need to build up 
uh, a bit of stock now, and then we will rent the brewery for a month in July. So my summer's ruined. <laughs> okay, so, so when Sweden closes down for the summer, that's when you yeah, do your month's yeah, Basically, when they're, they, they close this brewery anyway in July, and, and as, as things have progressed so well for us, uh, we have to actually brew more than we had initially thought, and the only way we can squeeze into their business is by taking over when they're closed. We, we also brew at the weekends for them to bottle Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you were always a man with a few delusions of grandeur, right? Have you no plans <laughs> to start your own brewery yet? Yeah, yeah, but you're standing in front of the owner of this brewery, so let's keep that hush hush, <laughs> of course. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, of course, that would be the natural, the natural next step, but it still is a, a big step from, you know, we're contracted 800,000 bottles for 2023. That's still not enough, really, for your own brewery. Uh, so we, we still have a bit of a gap or we would have to do some licensed brewing ourselves, and that's another whole arm of a business that we don't really have the time or desire to do at the moment. So we need to focus on focus on Thirst, uh, and right now this works very well. So we find somebody a little bit quieter and we'll delve into the details of this whole thing. Yep. <laughs> what a difference, eh? <laughs> so how did the whole idea come about? Because let's go back over the story, right? How long are you in Sweden now? Oof, over 20 years now, so. Uh, when did I come? Yeah, I came first in 2000. So I, I think around the same time as yourself. If I, yeah, was it you? Yeah. I, I think I got here just before you. But mm -hmm. the first time, I think the first time I actually saw you, uh, like your physical form, was playing football <laughs> out in Ulster with Ronan Morgan when the Dubliner had a seven-a-side football That's right, team. the Corpen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's a long time ago now. Yeah, right? that is a long time ago. And at that mm -hmm. stage, when you moved over here first, what was it that brought you here? Because you spent a lot of time in the bar and restaurant business that we'll get into. Yeah, but I think at the time, in the early 2000s, it was usually one of two things, wasn't it? It was either Ericsson or a Swedish woman. And uh, never I did, I've, never wor I've never worked for Ericsson, so... <laughs> Swedish woman on the other hand. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I met my wife, uh, Maria, who's still my wife, which I think is quite rare for, for expats that that come over here for a woman they, yeah, usually, they usually get rid of us all right don't they <laughs> just fucking need to get rid of her. so yeah no I, I met Maria in uh, in Dublin actually she does uh, river dance as you know and I call it river dance because that's what Swedes call it but mm -hmm. Irish dancing to you and me yeah um, which is just about coming to terms with uh, the fact that she's almost retired <laughs> from that but <laughs> she's done well she's got she's done, years yeah. oh yeah she can still dance for sure but now it's if there is any uh, any shows on it takes quite a bit of training and warming and up in advance of it. yeah but, it's not like that thing of oh we have a gig on Wednesday but no 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 yeah, like yeah. three months back this year for this exactly. kind of crack, you know but yeah no I, I met Maria in uh, Fitzsimons in Dublin in Temple Bar and uh, she was dancing there and working there and I was working there at the time as well and uh, yeah I had travelled a bit I'd I studied in Belfast um, after school, and I sort of joked that I left Belfast with two firsts. Uh, unfortunately, there were two first years, <laughs> not two first degrees. <laughs> so I, I, I really wanted to travel, and I felt, you know, at that age, uh, four years of studying, I just couldn't get my head around it. There was so much I wanted to do. So I, I traveled quite a bit, had a lot of fun, and on one of the periods I was back in Dublin, I met Maria. Uh, I had another trip planned to New York in uh, the following year, which was a few months later actually. So I met Maria just in the end of '99, mm -hmm. and I was going to head to New York in May, which I did uh, without Maria. But then when she came to visit me, and I sort of looked around at the, the head cases that I was living and working with in the bar industry, and I looked back at Maria, this beautiful Swedish woman, I'm like, 
I think I better make a choice here. <laughs> I think I made the right choice. It's not so, even a choice. So here, yeah, it's like, yeah, right, exactly. let's go. So here I am. And uh, yeah, we did, a, we did a little bit of traveling together in the beginning, which was great. We did a year in Australia and we did almost a year in New Zealand. But other than that, I've been, Sweden's my home. And definitely <laughs> now, I'm in my family of three kids here. And I couldn't see myself as much as I have always missed elements of, of Ireland, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't see myself going back now, I don't think. It, isn't it amazing how that thing just slides past? You know, mm-hmm. Because in the beginning you think, oh yeah, someday, someday. Yeah. And then eventually, you know, there's one day you wake up and you go, ah, yeah. you know, maybe that's not uh, sort of necessary. You know? yeah. What did you do when you first got here? Was it sort of straight into the bar business? Literally, straight into the Dubliner, met Ronan and Farrell and Phil, I still remember to this day, sitting at the end of the bar. I'm not sure if they were drinking, they might have only had a cup of coffee, but uh, yeah, straight away just went up to the master, was there anything, gave them a little bit of my background. I had worked bars yeah. when I was studying, which is probably yeah, one of the reasons that I, I found it easy to leave as well. Um, and, I, and I worked bars when I was travelling. So yeah, went up to the guys, asked them if there was anything, they said they'd let me know, and I got a phone call a couple of hours later asking could I start that night. So A couple yeah. of hours later? Yeah, yeah, so I went, went, went back down that evening and, and started in Dubliner, and that was fantastic. I had a great couple of years there. I also worked in Veerstrom's at the same time, pre-Martin days. I know Martin is a great mm. supporter of, of everything that you do, uh, but it was pre-Martin days. But then I made a choice to stick with the Dubliner. Yeah, man had a had great time, still many good friends from, from the time that I worked there. So. Mm. And uh, yeah, in Sweden then, managed a few different bars, opened up a few of my own bars. Uh, then once the kids came along, started to realize that, you know, it isn't as we just mentioned off, uh, off record there, that it's a pretty tough business to mm. be in with kids. I found it tough. Some people, absolutely, it suits. Mm. Uh, but I found it tough with the, with the late nights. You need to wind down then as well when you come home. You can't, you know, you're, yeah, you can't just you're switch turping off somebody like that. out at 1.30 at night and sometimes maybe even physically, you can't come home and just fall, fall back straight yeah. asleep. You know, at 7 so. o'clock with the lads kind no, of thing, no, you know? exactly. And, and I had early, my first kid came was an early riser. He was a 5.30 baby until he was about, oh, pretty much, 11 or 12 he's been a, an early riser so so yeah no it wasn't uh, it wasn't entirely suitable for me as much as I enjoyed it mm. loved the crack so many good friends from both sides of the bar but uh, yeah mm. decided that I, I wanted to do something different how soon like you know the, t- the lads give you the, the job in the Dubliner after a couple of hours and I'm yeah. sure to this day they're delighted they did because you were never the guy who was content to just pull points and go home right you always wanted to know how does this work how can we get in more money how can we do different things and that, you were always very sort of creative in that way how soon did you sort of say jeez I wouldn't mind like, having a crack at running one of these places yeah I think pretty early on I sort of you know, I've, I've always had an interest in everything to do with a business and I think that still sticks with me today with my latest or my my is it in the family now. or is it just possibly yeah I mean, do you don't like being told what to do maybe yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no but I like all elements I think to to be successful in any business you need to understand everything about the business and yeah. I mean that when I did start at the Dublin I started in the dish mm-hmm. and that's so I knew from from right away from the working in the dish I've worked in kitchens a little bit with more so with friends but I've worked in kitchens I've worked the door mm-hmm. despite my stature believe it or not I've even worked on the door I've uh, yeah I've worked right away through and yeah I suppose having a having an interest always wanting to do a good job I suppose be quite thorough and then I've always just felt that uh, yeah, I, I, opening was sort of the next, ne- open my own place was the next sort of mm. step, really. Mm. Um, 
you were involved with various different people because in the beginning it's difficult like if we look at things over time you need other people who have money you need other people who have other yeah. skills that you haven't had the time to learn etc yeah. etc yeah. um, when you st- when the Liffey opened in Gamla Stone here in the old town in Stockholm was that you and Tony and Jerry who came together to open the whole thing exactly yeah how, yeah. how difficult was that process because it literally was taking an empty building and just turning it into a what well, turned out to be well, a great Irish bar yeah all, almost it was I was working in O'Connell's at the time or running O'Connell's and had a had a small share there and I and I spotted this bar opening up and I could see you know in a beautiful old it was an old bank so a fantastic yeah. building fantastic location and the bar that they put into it was not so fantastic and I could so I could sort of see from early early stage that it most likely wasn't going to work very well for them um, so we gave it a bit of time and after a few months it wasn't working very well so popped in I had spoken to Tony and Jerry about the place and we all had our eye on it and popped in spoke to the guys and said hey you know, it doesn't seem to be going great. You've, it looks fantastic, but <laughs> you know, shit yeah, this, aren't you? <laughs> I know it's a, li- a little bit harsh. But I mean, uh, yeah. th- that was the reality of it. And uh, told them a little bit about all our backgrounds and what we could do if we turned it into an Irish bar. So they were, yeah, they were all ears, and we went in. But they stayed in as partners, which was part of the difficulty because one was from Bosnia, one was from the Lebanon, and one was from. Since so the start of a really I can't bad joke, that was, yeah, it? it was like it was a United Nations of, of madness. It was so it was it was difficult to run because it was a lot of different. We had our Irish culture, and even between three Irish partners, you have differences yeah. as well, of course. Uh, but then when you mix in three completely different cultures uh, of yeah, different how, expectations, absolutely. and okay, we should so do this, it was it, it was tough. But again, a, a lovely journey opening the Liffey, uh, seeing it grow. We got very lucky opening the Liffey at the same time as the Dubliner had to close when they cho- uh, yeah, they moved were forced into move locations. Yeah. So we got a very uh, a lucky bump there. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was an enjoyable experience. Mm. Yeah. Well, you say that, right? <laughs> but I remember that time as being quite stressful in your life because all of a sudden you've gone from being the guy getting a wage for running the show to the guy being responsible for the show being run at all. And there's a financial incentive there because it's your money, it's your reputation. Mm. You've risked, you know, you're putting, and this has been the case since as well. Yeah. How easy is it to sleep at night as your own boss, as being the person who's ultimately responsible for for all of this? Yeah, I I can switch off uh, generally, and I think having a an active sort of life outside work as well, you know, staying involved in sports, which is now mainly my kids' sports, but mm. uh, and yeah. Having fun things to look forward to, I'm big into snowboarding and mountain biking, for example, mm-hmm. and I have a boat, so I enjoy boat, all sorts of water sports. And having them to look forward to and, and take your mind off work is absolutely necessary for me. Uh, but you do have a few sleepless nights, and I suppose with the restaurants was worse because on your nights off you were always on because you know the till would break down and the phone would go, or somebody you know, this, yeah, or, yeah, and the phone would always go. So. From that, from an operational point of view, it was more difficult to be off from the bars and the restaurants as it is for my current business. Now, now really, when I'm off, I'm off. And I, I choose to work in the evening sometimes so that I can be free, you know, a little bit earlier in the day. I can, mm. you know, one of the joys of having your own business, it is very flexible. So yeah. I, I can take a half day if I need to take a half day and go and drop the kids here or there or go and do something for myself. Mm. But then I'll catch up in the evening. So, yeah. but yeah, sleeping at night, yeah, being, it's quite important that, you're able to switch off. Because it is like I mean, we should never sort of you know. There's this idea that oh, you know, only in America you go there, you start something, and it's a huge success. We've all had 
our knockbacks. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the lads, I think Jerry was involved in the International Bar, which they ended up selling reasonably quickly after they opened yeah. it. Like, so it is kind of up yeah. and down. Yeah, for sure. How do you, at that point, right, because I've noticed that sometimes, like, it's not that you disappear, right, but do you find it easy to ask other people or to share, like, you know, to ask other people for help or to say, look, lads, I'm having a bit of a tough time here now, or do you keep that to yourself and just work your way through it? Um, I would probably be a bit more old school, and I know it's not the right way, but I would probably keep it to myself. Yeah. yeah. And I don't even like to burden my wife with too much of it either, because yeah. I feel that when you're at home, you know, you should talk about more fun things, and you should enjoy the time at home. So yeah, yeah. that's work. Uh, like you can. Yeah, I try. I really like do try to separate work uh, from home life. So. Mm. But yeah, maybe it's not always the best idea. You you do need to you need you do need to vent every now and again. But yeah, you know, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm the same myself. It's like mm. okay, this is my I've created this problem, so I have to yeah, yeah. work my way through. <laughs> but like I say, it may not be the best thing. No. Um, Tushed wasn't kind of wasn't a surprise to me in one way because I thought okay as I say I've always seen you as this sort of creative person entrepreneur somebody who's willing to try and who wants to try and learn new mm-hmm. things wouldn't surprise me from five years time you were doing something completely different <laughs> but where did the idea when everybody else was making IPAs and we've had plenty of them on this podcast as well yeah. making their own beers and that kind of you went down the soft drinks route why was that? Well it was a little bit to do with that I mean the craft beer revolution you could see I think Sweden went from 75 breweries to 450 breweries in a very short period of time and I and I went from the early days of in the Dubliner where literally somebody would just come up and say stir stack yeah. or sometimes they'd even just do you know their muscles they flex their <laughs> muscles I'm like, like what beer the beer. hell does this mean <laughs> stack okay so nobody really cared what they were drinking yeah. and I saw that change to what it is today where people will go up and they'll ask for oh how did on IPA met centennial hops you know they'll, they'll, they'll <laughs> they know exactly what hops they want they, they, they know everything about it so and I saw that changing in the beer industry, but nothing was happening in the soda industry. So it was a, a little bit of that. In one of my restaurants, I was in Texas Longhorn for a while. We put on the, or it was put on the menu, try our premium soda. Now, premium is not a word I like to use with thirst, but mm. this said, try our premium soda, and it had a little picture of a, of a, of a frothy glass. Mm. And the amount of people, especially tourists, that just pointed to that, there was no price, there was no flavor, there was no nothing. You had a list of the usual sodas, and you had try our premium soda. And the amount of people that just pointed to that, because they just wanted something different. Yeah. Because everywhere you go and everywhere in the world, it's the same soda, same soda, same Stoke soda. Coke and Seven Up and Fanta. Yeah, exactly. And stuff, yeah. So there was that, and then there was another element. Um, the Swedish fika, as as you know, is is massive, and it's there's a big drive now in a lot of cafes and bakeries. They're they're very much going organic and eco. Mm. So they're, you know, they're they're buying their their flour. They're buying organic heritage flour from Varbro Kvarn, for example. Mm. Using organic butter. They're doing everything, but the best of ingredients. And then they have a drinks selection of sodas with phosphoric acid, with citric acid, with all sorts of crazy additives. It it just doesn't match up. So I'm thinking there's a a big gap. There's a big gap in the market there for somebody to come in with with an all natural organic soda that actually tastes good, Mm. looks good, and basically does good. So we're organic, we're fair trade, and yeah, it's so far so good. How long did it take from having the idea to hold one of these beautiful bottles of soda in your hand? Um, well, I suppose the idea was sort of simmering, but when the decision was made to go for it, uh, it was in late summer 2019. We said we'd start officially January the 1st, 2020. Mm-hmm. 
uh, with a view to sort of launching in pre-summer that year. But obviously the pandemic came along. So and screwed up a lot of yeah, people's plans. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> screwing up. Look, we're looking at a bottle now with the screw caps, for example, came from, or they come from the Czech Republic. That factory closed down. Uh, the bottles come from a big plant in Estonia. That factory closed down. So everything just stopped. So yeah. we continued with R&D and we continued doing what we could, but sourcing the material just became impossible. But it put a, it knocked us back three or four or five months possibly. But yeah, we had bottles on the market in early, late June, early July 2020. So mm. I mean, less than a year, I suppose, from, mm. from the moment of deciding to go for it. Mm. And in order, like, I mean, you're a family man, you have bills to pay, right? So mm. do you have to get in investors? Do you have to like, you know, find cash to keep you ticking over until you start to sell your products then? Yeah, that period was okay, because when I'd left the restaurant industry, I'd, I'd done okay. Uh, yeah. So I didn't mind having a little bit of a period uh, where I'd, uh, I didn't get a wage. Um, yeah. And I've always dabbled in a little bit of catering here and there, as you know. So yeah. I, had, I had things going on, yeah. um, but I had no set, I had no set income. Um, mm. But I, I, I had stuff going on and I was able to, and I had quite a bit of free time to, to work on, on Thurston as well, so. Yeah, and is it, is it just you or do you, did you have other people involved in the process at that time? Yeah, I had, or I have uh, a partner who put up the finances in the beginning, uh, very kindly uh, involved in the rugby club, who I think you know as well, Alan Maybon. So he was very, he's... A, a very silent partner at that very, point. Very, very, yeah, it's, it's silent. No, he's, he's, he's active. I mean, he's, he enjoys the product. He's, he's quite passionate about it from a sense that he's never touched a drop of alcohol in his yeah. life. Uh, and another, you know, a, a big factor was that when he's in restaurants, you know, he got sort of sick of being treated like a, a child, basically, you know. Yeah. Or, okay. have a seven up pet. Pretty much, pretty much <laughs> so, you know, and, and, and the options were terrible for him, and so he, he was happy to jump on board for that reason, and then uh, we have another partner who actually used to work in this brewery, Ludwig Breedhoff, who's the, yeah, he's the, he's a chemical engineer by he has a chemical engineering degree and uh, he was the brewer out here so mm. yeah he, he's involved and then we had a group of I sort of picked guys that I when I was putting it together guys that I've worked with in the past mm. and had very good experiences and know that they can do things that I, I can't do yeah. so we have another group called Liquid Management who are a group of guys that were they're beverage consultants so they came on board as well mm. super guys that I'd worked with in the restaurant industry before mm. so so who are your customers now because you have Alan Mabon who is a fantastic bloke by the way can't be said mm. often enough how great he mm. is and the work he does in rugby is phenomenal as mm. well um, who are your customers is it re because I know it's for selling restaurants it's also in some sort of you know the posher sort of uh, department stores and that kind of thing around yeah. town. Did you deliberately, you hate it when I say things like that? <laughs> Posh and premium, I, yeah. You you know, we, like, we don't well, like those two well, We'll put it like Kaisabari <laughs> is the kind of place where yeah. you don't go there to get milk and bread. You go there to buy, you know, something nice for the, to have in the yeah. dinner for the weekend kind of thing, yeah. right? Was it a deliberate thing to say, right, we want to be in a slightly higher price category kind of thing? Like, we don't want to be competing with sort of three for ten crowns. At yeah, exactly. I mean, not only did we want to be there, we sort of have to be there. I mean, if you're going to be buying organic raspberries and you're buying the only lemon juice that you use is Sicilian lemon juice, you know, the price will naturally be higher. So our price point was going to 
naturally put us up in this sort of higher yeah. <laughs> segment. And, but can, it was you, a strategic... You can whisk about premium if you want to, I won't tell anyone. <laughs> now, the thing with premium that, that kills me is like premium, a premium product. What's the premium? The premium is you're paying for their marketing. Yeah. You know, you're paying. The <laughs> premium the price is you're paying yeah. for put, put all the interest. Up goes the price. Exactly. Whereas, yeah. whereas we're not, we don't waste, I could say, but we don't use use money, massive money for marketing or like that. We put the money into the ingredients. Mm. Do you know what I mean? The, the craft. So yeah. so premium sort of, yeah, I'd rather the word craft, but again, craft is being overused. Mm. Um, uh, I've lost track where we were. I was just saying who your customers <laughs> oh, the, yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was a very strategic decision to, uh, I wanted that your first experience of Thirst would be in the right location, would be in the right venue. You know, mm. you're sitting, you're in Yasaragi with your wife, and you've sat in a, in a spa, and you're gonna have cool down with a nice drink. You know, that mm. you're gonna you're gonna remember your first experience of Thirst. Yeah. You know, so we, we we chose we actively chose who to work with in the beginning for sure, uh, to make sure that the customer was gonna get the right experience, and that they also the the staff selling it knew and respected the fact that yes, it's a little bit more expensive. But here's why. Mm. So we were very, uh, very, very careful with where we went for the first two years, I suppose. Now we are in all the major distributors in Sweden, so we've lost that little bit of control. Mm. But the price point will naturally sort of filter where we're going to go as well. Yeah, yeah. So you you won't see us, but in you know two for X amount of kroner in in, in some of the cheaper supermarkets. We're, yeah. we're we're not even targeting the supermarkets at all yet, yeah. other than the Kaiservargs, the Urban Delis, the Route, and a lot of Gord's Handel and these sorts of mm. places. So. How hard is it as a new company, as a new product, as something at a slightly higher price point? When you go to these people first, Yasaragi, to a restaurant, to Kaiservargs, and you say, I have this thing and I want space mm. on your shelves, because that, if you want to talk mm. about something that's at a premium, it's shelf space in restaurants and bars yeah. and in supermarkets. So yeah. what are those discussions like? Do they look at you and go, hey, fuck off you? Well, in the <laughs> beginning, it's very much, there was quite a few uh, other sort of smaller craft soda companies floating around. And we wanted to make sure that we were seen differently. We wanted to be seen as mainstream as possible, hmm. but we're still a craft product. So we made sure that they were very aware we're never going to run out of product because so many so many smaller breweries that get on the menu somewhere or soda breweries that get on the menu somewhere they'd order for a few weeks and then suddenly oh sorry we're out of such and such a soda we 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 think we'll brew in about two months time and you know that just doesn't work yeah that doesn't work for for somewhere like yasaragi or for at six or any of these larger sort of companies so so we made sure that they were very aware that we will not be that company we Mm. won't run out uh, of product and i think that stood by us and then that a lot of organic products unfortunately they tick a lot of boxes, but they forget about the taste box. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> <laughs> this tastes like my feet, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's organic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so that was another. Obviously, <laughs> taste was pretty, pretty important to us. And I think you, you, you were were one of our first customers on our on our web shop and I think you and your, your family will agree that the, the product tastes good. They so, went so, mad yeah, for yeah, kids yeah. baiting down the door like my daughter's <laughs> friends come and they go, have you any of that raspberry soda again, <laughs> mister? You know, so that's yeah. I'll have to fill up the car before I leave here. But in terms of taste and that kind of thing, because you mentioned that uh, your partner Ludwig there is a chemical engineer and there's like, there is no chemicals in these things as no, the I see No, it. but it's I suppose the processes. Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the manufacturing processes mm-hmm. as well. Was yeah. it hard to get the taste right though? Would you be standing there going, oh, just a little bit more this, just a little bit more of that. Yeah, I mean, it was. Some of the products are incredibly simple. I mean, the real lemon is literally Sicilian lemons that we shred the whole lemon, so you get the pith and you get a lot of the natural aromas and the oils yeah. uh, from the pith. 
a little bit of extra Sicilian lemon juice and then cane sugar and water. I mean, that's it. There's nothing, there's nothing to it. So it's pretty much the same with the raspberry, except you just add raspberries. You yeah. add actual real raspberries into it. So those products were not extremely difficult to to develop. Uh, the process to be efficient in processing them, yeah, may, mm. maybe it was more difficult. But then our colas and our yule must uh, were more difficult. There's no doubt about that. I mean, yeah. that's yeah, combining 14 different ingredients, and uh, but they're all natural ingredients. It's cardamoms, it's licorice, it's nutmeg. But they, they were definitely difficult to uh, to get the balance yeah, right for sure. Yeah? yeah, you mentioned as well like, the difference between you and everybody else. You know, there was there's various different places they can put something out. It could be on the shelf for a year because there's so many chemicals in it. You don't do that, right? At Van der Briggery, you just showed me a machine here, which means that your stuff can be out there until. So the next summer, how yeah. does that process work? That's the pasteurization yeah. process. Yeah, they have a large pasteurization tunnel. So basically, our product will go in, gets slowly heated up to a certain temperature, usually around 78 degrees, depending on the product, and then slowly cool back down again. And that process basically enables us to put 24 months on the product. We put 18 months on it, and mm. uh, you don't need to keep it cool. Uh, and then you don't need any preservatives. So it's, it's the preservatives we wanted to stay away from. Yeah. Uh, without preservatives, the product will be fine once it's kept cool. But I mean, that doesn't really work in the restaurant and cafe industry, telling people that they have to keep their sodas cool. So, mm. so yeah, the pasteurization tunnel is a, is a very important piece of equipment for mm. us, for sure. What's next? Because you've now established yourself. You have a certain amount of customers. You have a certain reputation in the places that you go to, right? Mm. With any business, you're always looking for, okay, where's the next place I can grow into? Mm. Is it more flavors? Is it increase the sales of the flavors that you already have? Is it beer, alcohol-free beer is a big thing? Yeah, it's a big thing, but uh, no, it wouldn't be our our cup of tea, so to speak. We, we stick with stick with sodas, possibly one more flavor, and all Swedish flavor, so that every all the ingredients sourced from Sweden. Because obviously, right now, our you know, Swedish lemons are not the easiest to come by. So, <laughs> there's only children so, yeah. sitting around this yeah, table. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> so, but it would be nice to do an all an, an all Swedish ingredient uh, soda. But I don't think we we have a core. We always said this would be the core of our range. Yeah. And then we might we, we never wanted to be seen as a, a hipster brand, which was another sort of thing in the beginning. You know, walking into we keep plugging Yasaragi here, but walking into Yasaragi, they'd be like, yeah, here comes another a lot of hipsters with their yes. with their funky soda. Some beer you found with a hat. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. We we didn't want to be we didn't want to be seen as those. So we we wanted our the core of our range to be quite simple. You mm. know, it's a. It's a lemonade. It's a cola. It's a it's a raspberry, which maybe not so popular in Ireland, but a halon halon soda is yeah, huge yeah, over here. Big thing. It's actually interesting just with the halon soda while we're on it because you you got to see it. I mean, you see the beautiful red color, yeah. and it's quite. It was another reason why I, I I started this actually when I was doing the the R and D in the beginning. I was at all sorts of sodas at home, and it was the night before my uh, eldest son's birthday, Kian. I think he was turning eleven. And he always used to be excited for his birthdays, as every yeah. every kid is. But he was really, really struggling to sleep, you know. And he was then he was up in the middle of the night saying he's thinking of such weird things. It was, it was almost like he was tripping, you know. It was a bit mad. <laughs> it was, uh, was we were worried, like, okay, he's excited, but like, what's going on? It was only the next morning I looked in the recycle bin because we'd allow, I'd allowed him to have some try some of the sodas, and there was an empty bottle in there of an American, actually a Mexican soda, that he had drank, and it was a bright red soda. And there it was in black and white on the back and in English. I couldn't blame my bad Swedish. You know, contains E129, which is a, a synthetic red color and may affect your kid's ability to sleep, his concentration, increased Holy hyperactivity. And it, unbelievable. And I was just like, 
this is ridiculous. I, I got, we got to help stop this. This yeah. is crazy. And some of the stuff, and there, there are alternatives to that, that E129. There's an E120, uh, but that comes from, it's called Carmine, and that comes from a, a little red lice that grows on cactus. Uh, that, that, that live on cactus, oh, and, and most 95% of that comes from Peru. I mean, it's a natural product, but it's definitely not vegan. <laughs> so they, they, they crush the lice up, and that, that gives you the red color. So I'm like sort of, a, why don't people use raspberries? I mean, raspberries are red, <laughs> hey? You know, that's it's fairly imagine, simple. Imagine to me. that, yeah. So yeah. that's so this beautiful red color here actually just comes from the fact that we decide to put raspberries in our soda. Let's, <laughs> give, let's give it a go. Okay, this is yeah. one straight out of the pasteurizer. Should yeah, we take so the cold one warm. or the warm one? Yeah, try the warm one. Try first. the warm one. Okay, yeah. so here we go. So there's no not even a label on the bottle. No lice were harmed in the making no. of this product. <laughs> there we go. That's the bottle open, mm. right? So. That's lo- it smells like a, sort of a, a raspberry tart just out of the mm-hmm. oven, right? So mm-hmm. Are you going to have a little bit yourself, are you? We'll just pour a little bit into I that wouldn't glass. Touch the stuff, yeah, man. You wouldn't touch the stuff. There's, a, there's no E numbers in there. I'm amazed at that now with, uh, with Keen, Laurie. Yeah, I mean, you, you feel like a bad parent. I mean, literally, and literally yet, in black and white. But I don't know who has time to read every single label. I, I tell you, I do pretty much now. I'd say you do, but, yeah. <laughs> but, I'd say, but you just go and pick that off the shelf. And yeah. it's like, it may affect your child's ability to sleep. Hang the f*** on uh-huh. here. Like, mm-hmm. Let's have a taste of this. That's amazing because mm-hmm. it's like I said, it's warm. So this is straight out mm-hmm. of the pasteurizing machine. So it's still cooling down. It does taste a little bit like you know, and it's carbonated as well, which is weird. Something warm and carbonated yeah. is not something I used to. But there is that lovely sweet taste. And now that you mentioned mm-hmm. it, I was in America a few weeks ago, and I can't eat sweet things in America. Like I, I mm-hmm. can't eat American chocolate. I can't mm-hmm. eat, even eating cake or anything like that because it's full of stuff like that and it just gives me a headache like you know there's just it's just there's something weird about it and it's it's too sweet for the most part but i found recently that fruit like fructose fruit sugar and that kind of thing is actually much nicer than any sort of refined sugar you know was that part of the idea going into is like how to bring out the flavors in these things or yeah well i mean there is a natural there's cane sugar, sugar in there, the, yeah. you know, so we put in cane sugar and then we, we put in a bit of demerara so like unrefined yeah. uh, cane sugar as well which has a bit more of a rounder is sort that of what tone. we used to call brown sugar uh, yeah, yeah yeah exactly and I think there's there's various different types of your brown sugar so but yeah and that gives a little bit more of a rounded sort of flavour so mm. you do need it uh, to be honest if there it, if there is no sugar at all and you're just relying on the fruit sugars which some soda companies do mm. um it's it's fine, but it is definitely not really uh, such an enjoyable soda yeah, that yeah, you could that you more. could chug. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah. Th- that's beautiful altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, where is the future now? Because uh, one of the things I was thinking about when I was driving over here is that a lot of craft breweries that do alcohol products mm-hmm. here, beers and IPAs and that kind of thing, they have the problem that you know it's so difficult for them to sell. They can't just sell from mm-hmm. the local farm shop or that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Would you look at things like because it also thrust is very much a Swedish word the, uh, with the two dots yeah. over and that kind of thing. Are you looking to export these things, or have you started exporting them? Yeah, already? I mean that's that, that is in the long term plan for sure. Um, we're in Denmark and we're in Norway, uh, almost just dabbling in them. Really, we have yeah. a distributor in each country. Um, Do you change the O to the one with the line through it now? No, and, and no. Actually, there is a there is a brand in Norway with the, with the with the Norwegian O called Thirst. It's an energy drink. So, okay. Um, but I'm not sure if they realise that we have the patent on yeah. Lanterst. So. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a court case I'm looking forward yeah. to following. Yeah, no, we, we have patents for plenty of countries around the world planning in advance. Some of them take up to two years to get. Um, yeah. So, yeah, definitely, the, the, the plan is export. Um, 
but right now we're a little bit overworked uh, just trying to saturate the Swedish market, which we want to do really first before we start. Yeah. Uh, well, would you ever be at a point, if you saw this on the, the if you saw one of your products on the shelf, in a particular, are, are there still places that you don't want to be in, still contexts you don't want to be seen in kind of thing? Like, um, no. <laughs> from personally, I could probably say yes, but no, from a, from a business point of view, we, we've made the decision that we can't, we can't stop that and we can't feel, you know, no, absolutely not, no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and in terms of the sales of that then, when you're, you're, you mentioned there that like, you know, you're with the big distributors now. And with that then, I found this with writing books, right? Mm. It's like giving away your child, right? Mm. And asking mm. somebody else to sort of market yeah. it. And I never once wrote a book where I felt they get that. They they love this thing as much as I do. Mm. Do you have to sort of be on to them and go, come on, lads, come on, look, have you thought of telling people about this? Have you thought of using that argument, this thing here, that kind of thing? Or do you find that they get it because it's in their interest as well to sell the product? I think that's a big factor now that it is in their interest. There's a big demand now from yeah. uh, for organic and sustainable sustainable products and etc. So in a way, I think that the big distributors need products like ours yeah. for their portfolio. Also, big chains need products like ours to to fulfil their sust sustainability reports. You know, yeah, they need yeah. to buy X amount of organic products. So mm. that's working in our favour for sure. It hasn't been as difficult as we imagined it would be to get the distributors working for us. Is that uh, right? Yeah, yeah, you usually no, hear that's a nightmare. Yeah, no, right? it's been quite good. I mean, we have to be very active. We are very active, and we're mm. turning up to all their small trade shows in the middle of nowhere that we know probably won't get us much yeah. uh, sales, whatever, but, yeah. but we're supporting them where we can. So, mm. no, it hasn't been as difficult as, as we would have imagined, and they're they're all on board. They, they love the product, and they love the concept. So, mm. What does Maria think of the whole thing? Yeah, well, <laughs> She loves it. I mean, opening that uh, that raspberry that you just did there, I could see your your eyes did light up. But she normally even makes a she makes a sort of a grunting sound, like a. <laughs> it just reminds her of summer, you know. So now nah, she loves it. The kids love it. It, it does feel. It's quite a fun. It's quite a fun business to be involved in, especially mm. for your kids. You know, your your daddy has a has a soda company, and he and he brings home endless sodas. In fairness, I bring home all the dodgy ones with the dodgy labels and too much sediment and stuff. I don't think I don't think the kids have ever drank a sellable bottle of soda <laughs> since, since day one. That's no, it has to be. I, think I, I get that from my dad as well. From uh, he had his own butcher's business, so. Uh, I don't think we, we we weren't eating fillet steak that could have been sold. That's for sure. No, no, you can't be. That's just giving away the profit, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like you know. But do the lads like do, does Keen? You know, when he comes home with his friends and that kind of thing. Would, or if he went out to eat with them and that kind of thing, would he prefer this now, or would he? You know, would he still be a Coca-Cola, Apple Tiakon as you must that kind of thing? No, he's he's getting into Keen's quite into fitness and uh, he plays a lot of rugby, plays a lot of football, and he looks after himself a hell of a lot more than I did at his age or than I ever have done. So he'd be quite conscious. He more often drinks water to be yeah, honest yeah. but uh, if he's if he's taking a soda he would he would prefer a thirst mm. but I mean I brainwashed him haven't I so, so <laughs> clearly you know, he's in the family business there he'll be taking over all this speaking of which and one last question thank you so much for your time because I know you're very busy out here this morning um, like I say you're always been, you've always been a man of ideas you've never been a man to rest on those laurels and that kind of thing and it feels to me now that Tush is almost at the point where 
you might start looking at other things or are you in this business for life now no no definitely definitely not for life uh, but there's another few years in it for sure yeah no it's i mean it, it, it's a lovely feeling to be out and about anywhere in sweden and go into a place and see your product on the shelves especially now the ones that i haven't handled directly i mean the first 500 customers i basically knew the name of who was ordering in every single place mm. but now we're bigger than that and now i don't have that control but the upside of that or the more it is very nice feeling to go into places or to get photos from friends from places that mm. uh, that we're in so no but I always found with that right the fourth one is brilliant the fifth one is brilliant but the tenth one you're kind of going yeah what am I going to do next kind of thing yeah does that sort of affect you as well that like the eaten bread is soon forgotten kind of thing you know yeah no I, I'm not at that stage I yeah, keep no, sending I'm you fully, the pictures yeah. when I see it so yeah, that's, yeah, that's not what I'm saying yeah no 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 I still I, st I still enjoy it and there's still a lot of work to be done and uh, yeah as long as as long as I'm still enjoying it and the business is still growing and uh, and I'm able to sleep at night well then I'll, I'll keep going long may I continue yeah. when people are stocking up now because this episode will come out around about November time the wages will come in the 20 25th, when they're stocking up for Christmas, where can they go? Can they order online still? Yeah, online. We had to close down our own web shop because it was just too much for us to handle. We're still a very small group and we haven't mm. taken the next step to go major. So we, we sort of outsourced our web shop, but it's a very, very efficient and effective company called Delatia. Mm -hmm. uh, so you just go online there and they have a, a really good deal. And if within Stockholm or Greater Stockholm, it's usually next day delivery yeah. and yeah, the rest of the country probably within a day or two. So What's that website? Do you have the, the URL in your head? Delatia.se. So it's D-E-L-I-T-E-A. Uh, and in you go there yeah. and Tursht and you'll find all yeah, the wonderful there's a, there's you a want. Big, there's a big page dedicated to Tursht and you can order all our flavours there including the Yulmust which is just getting released now. So Fantastic. Yeah. Carl Stein, mm -hmm. the best of luck with it. We'll be probably back again before midsummer talking about these things as people stock up again. But for mm -hmm. now, thanks so much indeed. Thanks very much, Philip. Hey, Brendan, would you like to try a brand new traditional drink? Do you expect consistent quality? Do you go for a distinctive flavour? Are you man enough to change? Would your friends call you a sound man? I wear a smile for art to see when Beamish is in front of me. A better drink in every way. Ask for a Beamish out today. Sound man, Brendan. There you go, and of course, Carl Stein is a very sound man indeed. That was an old ad for Beamish from back in the day, one of their first TV ads. And uh, I love that description. Would you like to try a brand new traditional drink? And that's, uh, I suppose, what Carl is trying to do with Yulemust and all those other things. But uh, as I'm sure you'll agree, a great guy and every success. If I were you, go and see if you can order one of the boxes where there's just a whole load of different flavours in there, right? And stick it on the kitchen table and get stuck into it along with the kids and that kind of thing. Mix a few cocktails with it. God, Jesus, you could be doing anything with it but get it in the larder there for Christmas because it's well worth doing as I say I don't drink soft drinks I drink like one Coca-Cola a year but these drinks are amazing how sort of fresh and how tasty and everything else they are so it's uh, well worth getting your hands on some of them uh, that is it for this episode as I mentioned I have a few things in the bag now lads and ladies that are going to be bringing you over the coming weeks whilst I am in Qatar but uh, and if you have any sort of community news if there's anything going on there if you're looking for that and if you need help with that and if you're looking for 
work if you're doing anything like that just get in touch right and uh, we'll start to leverage this community a little bit I had to as you may have noticed I had to postpone my trip to Lulia I wanted to go up there and visit Neil Costigan and Rory and Tony and the lads up there and I just couldn't do it there's just too much work going on ahead of Qatar so I'm going to put that back there and head up maybe in January when all these fantastic interviews that I've managed to stick in the bank have run out but until then uh, look after yourselves and look after one another and I'll be back in touch very very soon next Monday morning 7 o'clock Jesus y'all know that by now with another episode of the Irish and Sweden podcast good luck